For the remaining time, I want to speak to you from Mark, the 14th chapter. And this is in the Fundamentals of the Faith series that I've been preaching. And as you know, if you've been listening to those, we've been using the Articles of Faith from Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which established Bethlehem in 1901. And these Articles of Faith go all the way back to before the Civil War, 1847, many, many years ago, when Zion Primitive Baptist Church and the Zion community were started. And this is Article 7. I read it to you again. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. If you remember, last week I spoke to you about baptism that is mentioned here in this article of faith, and we teach and believe, and I practice believer's baptism. And you can't get that with an infant. Just so you know the historical significance of that, it's believer's baptism means somebody can verbalize and think and state, I love the Lord. I believe he died for my sins, and that's who we baptize. That's believer's baptism. The second part of that, the second ordinance, isn't it great that the Lord made it so simple? There's two ordinances. There are two things that Jesus Christ has given to his church to observe. I'm glad it's not three, because I'd probably forget about one. I'm glad it's not ten. Praise God. It's just two. And that is the Lord's Supper. And I want to talk to you about that today. The title of the message is God's Funeral Festival, which is a misnomer, which is <laughs> mysterious to say that there would be a festival at a funeral. Now, you may think of people that have died throughout the ages where they did have a festival because they were dead. Men like Hitler, they rejoiced in the streets around the world when that tyrant, dictator, murderer died. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is one of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, that we could actually rejoice and have a festival over the death of someone. It's God's funeral festival. That's the Lord's Supper. Let's read in Mark, the 14th chapter. Begin reading in verse 12. In the first day of unleavened bread, that's the feast of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. That was a little unusual because usually it was the women in this culture that were bearing the pitchers of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they said and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man go indeed goeth as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And of course you know that's a reference to Judas Iscariot, the traitor. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is another example of the mysterious providential existence and manners and ways of our Lord. If you remember, baptism was at the beginning of His public ministry. You recall we talked about how the players on the stage of the world was, were set before us. Who was the Caesar? Who was the governor? Who was the high priest? You have all of these players set before us. And then it says, John came baptizing from the wilderness, from the waste, from the wasteland. And Jesus, in front of those thousands, thousands of people were gathered there from the Pharisees, the legalists, the religious elite, to the, to the publicans, the tax collectors, the soldiers, the common people. Everybody was gathered. Everybody that was anybody was gathered out there on the banks of the Jordan River. When Jesus publicly stepped out in His first public step of your salvation, and what did He do? He demonstrated His death on the cross, His burial in the grave, and His resurrection out of the grave by being baptized. Did they fully understand what all the significance of that was? Absolutely not. But He made it clear that He was there. It was public declaration. And you recall that very publicly, the Spirit of God in the form of a dove descended upon Jesus. And the Lord said, This is My Son. And that's why he came baptizing, John the Baptist, to identify who the Son of God was. Nobody else had that happen to them. It was very public, you see. And now here, that was the first ordinance, right? So now here, at the end of his public ministry, something's fixing to change. A major change is about to take place the very next day as the Lord is going to go to the cross and He's going to give up His life and He's going to be resurrected. And it's going to be a shift in who He is and who He was. And what he did, it's going to be a total confirmation of everything that he was and is when he's resurrected. So at the end of his public ministry, when he's about to depart from his disciples, it's very different. You see the distinction? He takes them into a guest chamber in a very private, intimate circumstance. And he imparts to them the Lord's Supper. Now, it's very notable if you'll read the accounts of the Lord's Supper in the Gospels. There's a couple things to really latch on to. One is this. That it's very clear when you put all of the Gospels together, it's very clear that Judas Iscariot had left before the ordinance of the Lord's Supper was implemented. The traitor is gone. And so he's there with the eleven. And he imparts this to them in a very intimate, private way. The second thing to latch on to is this. He is not observing the Passover at this point. It says while they were eating, or even after they had completed the Passover, he institutes something different. It's something new. It's something they never heard of before. So pay close attention to why it is, it is important that this is not... The Passover that he is implementing, I've referred to it like this through the years. It's like it's the perfection of the Passover <laughs> because he is now being viewed as the lamb. He is now, see, 
in the Passover, you had the bread, unleavened bread, and you had the wine, and you had the herbs and all of that type of stuff, and you had the lamb on the table. So when he, they finished that, when they finished that physical lamb, and they eat what they're supposed to eat, and they drink what they're supposed to drink, then the lamb is gone. That physical lamb is gone, and he implements the Lord's Supper, and where is the lamb? Do you get that? He is the lamb. He's the lamb of God. And this is his funeral celebration. You see, it was quite a different experience for those apostles as they sat there and he imparted these things to them. They're very sad because the implement, uh, implementation of the Lord's Supper was a signal to them that he is about to leave. He's fixing to leave us. And the longest recorded sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put the four gospel accounts of the Lord's Supper together, you will find in the book of John, the longest recorded sermon of our Lord is given after the implementation of that Lord's Supper. It's amazing what he says. <laughs> I tell you, he knew exactly what to say to prepare those apostles for what was coming. And they had questions all through it. He begins by saying, let not your heart be troubled. That's one of the first things that he says. He knew that they were, child of God, let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ knows your troubles. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what bothers you. He knows what tempts you. He knows how you deal with things and how you don't deal with things. He knows everything about you. And he says the same thing to you today as he said to those apostles, let not your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing what he didn't say there. Let not your heart be troubled. Because next week you're going to find that your bank account is overflowing and you've got plenty of money to pay the bills. Is that what he said? Let not your heart be troubled because I'm going to, by my power, eradicate the practice of child sacrifice and abortion for the rest of time. We'd all be like, oh, wow, what a relief. <laughs> that takes that trouble away. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to pay your taxes for the rest of your life. If you're self-employed, you, you would have even more of a joy in that. Those are not the things that he said, child of God. He said, let not your heart be troubled. For in my father's house, far away from here, there are many mansions. He pointed them away from this world. He pointed them away from what was troubling them. He says, if I don't go away from you, I cannot return to you. He was preparing them for that. Child of grace, if you wonder why he waits so, seems he waits so long and why these things seem to get worse and worse, and I expect they only will get worse and worse, don't ever forget that the Lord who sits upon His throne, who imparted that ordinance in an intimate, private ceremony with them to celebrate His death, He's coming back. And there are mansions prepared in heaven. And He says to you, let not your heart be troubled. Isn't it interesting that that's a phrase that is so often used at funerals? I've used that phrase at funerals. Let not your heart be troubled. Think about that. It's a phrase that's so often used in funerals today. Jesus Christ used it at His own funeral. Let not your heart be troubled. I love how Jesus finishes chapter 16. One of my favorite verses in the Word of God. I love them all. But He says basically... In this world, you shall have tribulation. But I want you to be of good cheer. How can I have a smile on my face when I read the headlines from day to day? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, 
be of good cheer. I have overcome the headlines. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the politics. I've overcome the ridiculous mindset that's out there in the world today. I've overcome the song of of fools, Brother Luke. I've overcome those things. How can I have joy? It's because we celebrate the Lord's funeral. That's how. The Lord said, I know you're upset. I know you're torn up. But I've got to go away from you. I've got something here that I've come to do. I think it's interesting that at this point, Peter did not say, no, Lord, no, don't do this. Lord, God forbid that you would go and do this. You know, there was a time in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when Peter did that. He said, don't go do this. And what did Jesus say? That man who had just professed that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He just said, uh, Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. And then he turns right around within minutes, within seconds. And he says, I must go to Jerusalem and I must be sacrificed and I must you know, die and all of that. And then Peter says, God forbid. No, don't let that happen. And what did Jesus say? The man who had just professed that he was the Christ, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. If you can't identify with that, then you're not very much in touch with your own human nature. Because we are extremists. We go from one extreme to the other. Oh, I'm professing the Lord on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, I'm thinking, how am I going to make it through this week? (laughs) That's Peter. I can identify with him so much. But Peter didn't say, God forbid, at this point. But Peter did say, at at one point, he said, Lord, I'll go with you. You know, Peter said, don't go, Lord. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. And here Peter says, Lord, then I'll just go with you. And the Lord looked at Peter and he said, Peter, before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Not me, Lord, not me. Now, these other guys might do it, but not me. You see how these, these guys are just like you and me. You understand that? They're just like us. Don't think that they're some kind of superheroes of fate. Don't think that they're something above what you can identify with. They're sinners just like you and me. And they have these extreme thoughts like you and I do. And here on the very night when the Lord is fixing to go pay for our sins, they are in that kind of mindset. By the way, after Jesus talks to them a little bit, and after they all say, Lord, is it I that's going to betray you? Is it I? Is it I? You know, John's laying on the shoulder of Jesus and he looks at him, Lord, is it I? Shortly after that, the apostles are over there murmuring and arguing among themselves. And what are they arguing about? Who is the greatest? (laughs) Can you imagine? These guys are a mess, aren't they? They're a mess. And you know what? So are you. (laughs) And so am I. We're a mess. We're sinners. We need the Lord. We need the Lord's Supper to demonstrate to us. We need baptism to show us the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of the experience of Christ in this life that He would implement something like this to celebrate His death. So you see from a practical side, they went up into an upper room Very different than his public baptism in front of thousands. At the end of his physical public ministry, they go up into this upper room, and from the world stage that was set before us, they have this little private upper room. I've always been curious about the man who prepared the upper room. The Lord laid it upon his heart to prepare that upper room, and nobody was there to begin with. Maybe this guy was a publican. Maybe he was an outcast. But obviously he didn't have a whole lot of friends. And it's interesting to me that the Lord Jesus Christ selected that man who had, the Lord had laid, I wonder how many years he had laid an upper room and prepared it. And now this year, the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles are going to be there. 
the wild, untamed center of the universe, brings it all down to this one little intimate experience where he says to them, take and eat this unleavened bread. You say, how can we be sure that it was unleavened bread? Did you read what's going on here? It's the feast of unleavened bread. It was illegal for any of the Jews to have leaven in their houses during that seven-day period. The Passover, if you remember us preaching about the God of the festival, the Passover was the beginning, the first thing that happened, and it it was like piggybacked on top of the seven days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So there was no leaven in the house. And back at you say, well, did they really drink wine? Well, I can promise you they didn't have Mountain Dew. They didn't have Pepsi-Cola. They didn't have Coca-Cola. The only three things that they had to drink back in those days basically was milk and water, which had to be purified often. If they didn't purify it, it led to health issues. Uh, Milk and water and wine. And most of the time they were drinking milk and wine because they didn't fully understand the purification process of water. I was thinking about that, you know. I love ice, don't y'all? Y'all love that Taco Casa ice? Man, you could just eat that ice for a meal. I've had to tell a few of my kids, quit, what are you chewing on? Ice, I'm chewing on ice. Okay, calm it down a little bit. (laughs) I love ice. I didn't have any ice. You couldn't put ice in your milk, couldn't put ice in your wine, couldn't put ice in your water. You know, everything would be kind of drab, sort of dull, wouldn't it, without ice. Think about those little bitty things, brothers and sisters. You know, what if all of the ice in the world was gone all of a sudden? Could you make it? Could you survive without your ice? (laughs) They didn't have ice. They didn't have ice. They had milk, water, and wine. You know, I'd submit to you that every church in the United States of America probably would still be using wine in communion if it hadn't been for prohibition back in the 1920s. Unbelievable what happened in those days. But they used wine, and they used unleavened bread. And he transmitted this ordinance to them. It was not a magical thing. He did not take his body and infuse his body into the bread and and his blood into the wine. It's not a what, what some call transubstantiation where it becomes that. It was a symbol, you see? It was a symbol. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say do this because it is me. He said do this in remembrance of me. So he transmitted this ordinance to them like he had transmitted baptism very publicly And those were his followers could have had no more intimate experience than what they had there in the upper room. A deep, intimate, inward look at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, baptism was an outward manifestation of the gospel. The Lord's Supper, if it's a good way to put it, was an inward digestion of that. You see, it was very public in baptism, but this was a personal thing in the Lord's Supper. And when you take of the Lord's Supper today, all these hundreds of years later, it should be a personal thing. You're celebrating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. The word there, the Greek word, if it does anything for you, is anamnesis. It's where we get our word amnesia from. And we are sort of all amnesiacs, aren't we? We sort of get amnesia. We forget our blessings. We forget how valuable ice is in our life, you know? Taco Casa ice. Wow. We forget that the Lord has saved us. We forget all of the things that we have. And we kind of focus on the negative and we think, well, you know, if I only had this, if I only had that, we can be so dissatisfied in our life. And the Lord said, I want you to do this because you get amnesia and you forget that I love you and I died for you. You know, 
I love to tell my wife I love her. I tell her that. I say it again. I want to say to her, I love you. Well, she knows that I love her. She sees that I love her for the things that I do, but I want to say it again. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us. Don't get amnesia. Say that you love him again. Say that you want to serve him again. Say that you want to assemble with the saints and worship him and rejoice in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Show it until he comes somewhere on the planet. You've heard preachers say this before, I'm sure, especially if you listen to old Baptist preaching. Somewhere in the world, God's people, until the end of time, till the Lord comes back, will be observing the Lord's Supper. He said, this do in remembrance of me. We have no guarantee that it would be here in the United States of America, especially the way the culture is going. We don't know where in the world that will be, but the Lord said, do this until I return. Just like he said, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. The Lord's church will be somewhere in the world someday when the Lord comes back. I hope it's sooner than later. I hope it's here. I pray to God that the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of those that are gathered here would be worshiping the Lord in this area. But there's no guarantee for that. But the Lord said, I will be worshipped and the Lord's Supper will be observed somewhere in the world until I return. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to think about the things that you do for remembrance. You know, I think about Christmas. I think about Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're not going to miss a Thanksgiving celebration, are we? We're not going to miss a Christmas celebration. I... I am a celebration freak. I love to celebrate. I love to get people together. I love to fellowship. I am a junkie on that type of thing. I, I love it. I look for reasons to get together, small groups, large groups, big groups, you know, whatever. I love to celebrate. And you know, I'm a very selfish and self-minded person. You know, I like to celebrate my birthday. Don't you? And when Sister Tracy, a couple years ago when she turned 50, Sorry, Sister Tracy, but everybody knows you turned 50 because we had a surprise party. <laughs> so we had that surprise party for Sister Tracy. And man, I played that down all day. I played it down. Oh, you know, happy birthday. That's, that's a big day, you know. I'm telling you, I had worked her up into a frenzy by that afternoon. You know, What's going on here? Why aren't we going to eat? Why aren't we? She wasn't that bad. I'm just kidding. But she was a little worked up, you know, just kind of playing it down. Well, then we show up, you know, for the surprise and everybody's there. Ah, surprise. And she's all boo-hoo and all of that, you know. So, you know, we like to celebrate our birthdays. I like to celebrate mine. Now, a few years ago, a couple that's not here today that will remain nameless took away my birthday because they got married on that day, you know. So I really don't have a birthday anymore. Madison and Heath, you know, they got married on that. Y'all don't tell them I said that. Maybe they'll listen to it on the podcast. But my birthday's gone now. I can't say anything because when Sister Tracy and I got married, we took away little two-year-old Meredith's birthday because we got married on her birthday. So, But we love to celebrate, don't we? Anniversaries, birthdays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We love those kind of things. And this is the most important celebration that you could ever attend and that you could ever put an emphasis on. Ever. And I'm not just talking about, you know, showing up a couple times a year for communion time. Yes, we need to show up for communion, for God's funeral festival. We need to show up for that for sure. But each week that we worship God, we are celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? Listen, we need to observe these things. We need to keep them dear to us. If you're sitting there today and you say, well, you know, I really didn't know that I believed that. <laughs> That's part of the fundamental, foundational, milk of the word truth that we as Baptists believe is that the Lord Jesus Christ implemented two ordinances 
And he gave baptism in a very public way. He gave the Lord's Supper in a very private way. And the Lord's Supper is for the baptized, you see. And we should never forget what he did for us. He said, remember, remember, remember. Don't forget that I gave my body. Don't forget that I shed my blood for you. Church, the article of faith says, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I do too. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't preach it to you. Let's build our lives around these foundational principles. And let's continue to celebrate God's funeral festival.